Hello, Habit Mechanics. Dr. John Finn here. Today, we're going to talk about coaching, um, coaching ourselves, and also how we might coach others or how we, we may have even be being coached by others and why I don't think it's the traditional ways that we've been taught to do this is particularly effective. I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Andrew, who's going to help me to unpack some of this stuff. Andrew, how are you doing? Yeah, hi there, John. Uh, great to be with you again. Um, I know you've expressed um, on a number of occasions your your major reservations with the current coaching, well-being, training scene, um, and all all the other names for it besides. And and you, you believe um, it is extremely problematic to say the least. And and that's why uh, you you've responded in the way you have with the habit mechanic system. Um, just remind us of the flaws as you see them in in these approaches that, that that we see so many in so many places yeah i think we have to start with what's the goal of coaching what's the goal of 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 training what's what's the goal of of learning to do something in this space it's to change our behavior so if we go for some resilience training we want to change our behavior so we're more resilient. If we want to go, if we want to, when we go to a work, work with a coach, there's a clear reason why. I want to get better at managing stress. I want to become a better leader. To do either of those things requires changing our brain, which drives how we uh, change our behavior. And just at a very high level, and, I, and I've trained on, I've got the degrees. Um, that purported to train you how to do this stuff. The fundamental training that people get to help them to be coaches is just simply not designed to help you to change people's behaviour. It's primarily designed to help you to give people more knowledge about what they could do to do things differently, but not actually to change our behaviour. So we use that timeline of knowing to doing to habit in chapter five of the habit mechanic book we really go deep into learning and the learning process and we actually got even deeper in chapter 26 of the book and when we get good at doing something we move from knowing to doing to habit neurobiologically we move from not having any wires in our brain about that thing that we want to get better at, like managing stress. We, we, we put some information in there, which goes into our prefrontal cortex. If we want it then to stick, we have to practice implementing the things that we've learned. It could be around um, thinking processes and slowing down our breathing and, and all that kind of stuff. And then we have to continue to practice that to automate the behavior, which means we have to harness it. Uh, behavioral science insights that's just not what we're taught as as coaches or as people that are professionals at helping other people to do better it's just not in the curriculum yeah and and therein i know lies the problem um and in response to this um 
you have developed now and and, and refined a three-step habit mechanic coaching system uh simple practical uh, applicable for a range of contexts um i'd like to talk in detail or in some detail about each of the steps the three steps but if you could just give us an overview of of the process as a whole to start with that'd be really fantastic maybe before we go into that i will give an overview maybe let's think about how a traditional coaching um, process works. So depending on who you're working with, it might start with some questioning or even some psychometrics. Now, I wrote a for- an article for Forbes recently spotlighting the flaws in psychometric testing. Many leading scientists now saying that they're about as predictive as horoscopes, and I would argue they do more damage than good because they create a really fixed mindset. So straight away, that's problematic. Um, because if, you, if you're if you coaching someone, you want them to be open to learning and changing. And a psychometric already suggests that they are set and they have a certain set of traits that are genetically um, permanent and they can't change. So you, that's step one in some coaching process is already flawed. Step two, um, you might get some tips or some tricks about the area that you want to improve. So let's say you've identified you want to work on your stress. So you might get some tips and some tricks about how to manage stress better, which you agree with and say, yeah, that's good. That's interesting and see why that would work. And then step three kind of finishes with what I call verbal persuasion. So so what would be a good idea is every morning if you did this or every afternoon if you did this or at the end of the day if you did this and the client says, yeah, I agree, that's a good idea. And then on your way. And then you come back the week after and you haven't changed anything because you didn't practice anything different because you forgot to do it because it went in one ear and came out of the other because we don't change our behaviour by knowing and agreeing it's a good idea to do something different. We change our behavior by building better habits. And that's why we created the habit mechanic. We call it the three-step habit mechanic coaching system. This is laced throughout the habit mechanic approach. It's in the book. Um, it's behind the scenes in the book doing this work. So we think there's a much better way to actually change our own behaviors, whether we're coaching ourselves or we're coaching someone else. The first step is we need to do intelligent self-watching. Now, in our approach... We use habit metric tools to, to do the heavy lifting here. So we use our in-depth habit metric uh, tools. We use our helpful habit metric tools. We have a whole range of leadership metric tools, habit metric tools. We have team habit metric tools to guide people's understanding about themselves and to start analysing where are the destructive habits that are stopping me being at my best. And where are the potential super habits that could really start to unlock my potential? And by using these habit metric tools, what we're doing neurobiologically is we're starting to prime the brain for change. We're starting to prime the brain to start to do something differently. So that's that's step one. Yeah, I was just going to say, John, and that that's 
the, the difference, I think it's worth pointing out, between your habit metric tools and the old style psychometric test. I, I recall myself having taken a psychometric test once. It's, it, it, I think I was told, you're like this. This is the group you fit into. Um, the, the, this, they, the, the habit metric tools are not deterministic in that destructive way. No, they're designed with the understanding that we are highly malleable in our behavior and what we think and what we do because our brains are highly malleable our brains are made up of over 100 billion neurons all of those neurons are changeable we can change them with how we practice we can make the neurons in our brain responsible for stress stronger and more sensitive uh, which lots of us are doing every day and equally we can make the sites in our brain responsible for resilience stronger and uh, faster acting when problems emerge. So the habit metric tools are not just treating the individual as uh, like we're doing something to the individual, we're measuring you, we're testing you. The habit metric tools are also a learn, they start the learning journey for the individual because they actually start to get them thinking about themselves in a in a different and a really helpful way um, so they can start developing what we call their habit mechanic intelligence. So what most people don't know is that the foundation, the roots of the vast majority of psychometric tests are now over 100 years old and they were started by a mother and daughter and the mother wanted just to test the daughter. She had no psychological training at all. She was doing something that was really well intended but that product, which is the Myers-Briggs test, like is still very prominent today. But the roots of it are, are not science-based at all. They were just sort of interesting. But we end up labelling ourselves and other people in a really unhelpful and damaging way. And if you look at Carol Dweck's work, the professor who coined the term growth mindset, she shows about the damaging effects of fixed mindsets. Um, we call that eight-brain mindsets. And just by taking a personality test, I would say activates fixed mindset because it makes you think that you are a certain type and that you have these certain inchangeable traits. So, yeah, for me, it's perverse that we, that we do this. Yeah. What personality type are you? Yes, I've certainly heard a lot of that before, John. So, yeah, that, that's a great uh, piece of background, a great piece of, of of insight for us. And I'm sure many people, well, hopefully it doesn't cause too much alarm, but it, it's nevertheless uh, a very stark message about that aspect of uh, some parts of, of the coaching industry. Um, so step two, then, um, of, of the process, the the habit mechanic coaching system Um you, you'll work with coaches and, and guide them so they can teach their clients how to use the habit mechanic tools to start building super habits and destroy destructive habits. And again, it's simple and practical in all aspects. Yeah, so we've primed the brain in the first instance. We've, we've done a self-determining exercise that gets people thinking, unlike psychometrics, which is a test and it causes fear and actually sh- causes the learning sense of the brain to lock to shut down because I'm being subjected to a test and I'm being judged. We've we've engaged them, our clients in a um in a self-determining uh, learning process. And then we can start to in step two we can start to spotlight some very specific areas people can work on. 
So they might want to work on sleep, diet or exercise, and we can show them how to use the desk swap tool, for example. Might want to work on stress management so we can show them how to use some of the stress management tools. Might want to be more focused and productive so we can show them how to use some of the uh, productivity and focus tools. They might want to work on leadership so we could actually go and do some very specific leadership habit metrics um, and, and pinpoint certain areas that we could work across uh, on in relation to being a better role model or action communicator or cultural architect or, or swap coach. And what we're starting to do is we're starting to lay down some of those cobweb connections in the brain for getting better at any one of those areas. And, and that's how we learn. We move from knowing to doing to habit. But what it looks like neurobiologically is that if I want to build some better stress management uh, habits, I first of all, I start with some knowledge. So I might start by learning about, well, what happens when there is a stress response and why is that problematic for the way that I think and I'm I'm taking that information and I'm starting to move it from my short-term memory into my longer-term memory the more I, I get it and I repeat the understanding and then I'm going to start to learn some skills that I could use to combat the negative consequences of stress so broadly broadly speaking we talk about focus breathing and focus reflection. So I get some of that information into my prefrontal cortex. And the more I practice and learn about it and do some exercise and actually start doing some of some of focus breathing and so, some focus reflection, I start to grow, grow some cobweb-like connections in my brain. And they're the foundations of starting to build a new habit. So I'm not just giving a few quick tips and some tricks actually in in our processes and people that have read the book and use the app and, and done our coaching or work with our coaches, um, they see that in those sessions, they're starting to actually practice um, using the tools and strengthening, strengthening the neurobiological connections. So we start in step one by priming the brain for learning. And in step two, we actually start to activate the neural pathways that, that are key for reprogramming our brains. Yeah, and I think if you don't mind, John, I can let people listening in on a little secret, actually. I know you, you showed me recently some video feedback from from coaches you'd worked with and helped them become certified in, in the habit mechanic system, and as well as them um, being very forthcoming in telling telling you that, that it'd been very successful for them as coaches and, and transformational, in fact, um, they actually... Uh, a number of people actually cited their uh, significant personal benefit. Um, I think one person has completely overhauled and transformed their own personal lifestyle with losing a stone in weight and, and um, adopting um, a regular exercise routine and improve the sleep quality, um, which was fantastic to hear. So if you would just perhaps... In terms of that, how would you then start in microcosm to, to help someone develop their better sleep and, and coach and help someone to coach people to develop better sleep? If you want to fulfill your potential or help other people fulfill their potential so you can feel great and get the rewards and respect you deserve, then I want to give you a free physical copy of my new best-selling book, Because You Deserve to Know the Truth. The most important things for fulfilling your potential 
are not tips, tricks, hacks, therapy, coaching, meditation, breathwork, goal setting, journaling, or finding your why. I know it sounds irrational because we're so used to hearing about using these things to help us fulfill our potential. But these approaches are outdated and ineffective and they are based on a big lie. To find out more and get your free physical copy of Dr. John Finn's best-selling book, The Habit Mechanic, go to tougherminds.co.uk. Yeah, well, this brings us on to step three of the of this of the three step process. So, we might identify that we want to improve our sleep, and then we might start to use uh, the Dead Swap tool, which is available actually in the app as a digital uh, reflection and planning tool. But you might also see it in the book and have mechanic book as well. It's in a chapter nineteen, or you can work with the stress coach in chap in a, inside the app. Sorry, the sleep coach in the app. But um, once we have a tool, we like it, we get it, we can see, yeah, that, that's good, actually. We need to create a habit-building plan. The factors that drive our behaviour are not mystical. They might be invisible, but we understand what they are, or certainly we do within the habit-mechanic approach. And we explain this as the nine-action factor model. There are nine factors that are driving our behavior, driving what we think from what we do every moment of every day. And because they haven't been explained to us in a systematic, understandable way, it's hard to control them. We hear that term behavioral science quite a lot, but we hear it in relation to very microscopic things like nudging. Nudging is one of the nine factors so it explains um, whatever that 11, is it 11% of why we do what we do? Often nudging is, is, is positioned as it explains everything about why humans do what they do. It doesn't. There are nine factors. So what we do in step three is we unpack those factors and we help people to build what we call habit building plans. So if you want to build a better sleep habit, you have to put that into the habit building plan system. And by doing that, you're going to start to get the nine action factors working for you instead of against you, which they, they currently are. And this is the thing. Whatever we're good at, and when I say the word good, we often think about positive things, but I mean, you can be good at sleeping poorly. You can be good at being stressed. You can be good at being unfocused and unproductive. Those behaviors are driven by the nine factors. So we've got to, change up some of those factors and get them working for us instead of against us. And that's what we've got with a habit building plan. So we move from priming our brain to be open to change and receptive to change and self-determining, looking for self-determining change, which is so key um, if we want to persist with learning. Then we actually help people to start laying down those cobwebs in the brain and then we help them to create a plan so that it makes it really easy for them to practice deliberately the new behavior that they want to automate in other words turn into a habit so that's the three-step process 
Yeah, and just just in terms of the the, the nine action factors, as you call them, drawn from behavioral science. Um, and, and you talked about the idea of nudge. Um, uh, just another anecdote from me. I know I was doing some work in a, in a major organization in the north of England a few a few months ago, and um, people were talking about nudge theory. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to name any names or, or be specific, so I can be quite candid, but there was a bit of a self-satisfied look on people's faces that they'd you know, had the key to everything. This is the key to to um, achieving what we want, to changing people's behaviour, to to getting people to act. But but nudge, as well, you would just call it a trigger, and that's as you say, um, one of nine other factors. It's it's just it's just one ninth of, of a complete whole. Am I right in thinking you would call it a trigger, John? Yeah, we call it an external trigger. Sometimes it's loaded with other factors like reward and penalty factors. So, for example, a speed camera is, you could say it's a nudge device, but it's, a, it's it's got a few different things going on there. So a speed camera is a reminder about how to, how quickly you should be driving. It's, we now see some that are a bit digitized and have smiley faces or sad faces. Um, so there's, all, there's also a reward and penalty factor in there as well. So if you get caught speeding, you get a penalty. Um, if you don't speed, you get a reward. You don't get a penalty and you get to keep your license and you don't get any more points on your license and your car insurance goes down. And you can take it even further, in fact. the um, There was a, an experiment, I think it was by a car company who did a bit of a competition. And I write about this in the book. And um, I think it was in, uh, I want to say, Sweden. They set up some speed cameras that were part of what they called the speed camera lottery. So they extended the reward system. So therefore, if you drove past the camera and it clocked you as speeding within the limit, you got entered into a lottery which was essentially all the all the all the fines that were submitted for people that were driving too quickly were put into a pot, and randomly some people who had been driving at the correct speed limit would be given lump sums of money, um, so that it's called the speed camera lottery. So triggers are malleable, and we can make them more powerful than others. But people that were smugly saying it's all about nudge theory didn't understand that. I don't think they thought it was about if we can just keep reminding people what to do they'll be able to do it um but we know that reminders um are the key to everything but used as part of an action factor system we can make nudges very very powerful but they they don't explain everything about why we do what we do um you know, people will get that with the phone. They put their phone away and then they move out of sight. But still, they're probably going to go check it because it's such an addictive thing. Um, I'm trying to think of another of, a, of another example where nudging isn't isn't particularly helpful. Yeah, well, I mean, while while you do that, John, um, I, again, ju- just you know, uh, of course, the premise of what we're talking about is highlighting the the very problematic nature of much of of, of existing uh, um, 
coaching and, and, and therapy and, and contrasting that very sharply with the habit mechanic approach um, and, and the very, very practical three-step system you, you, you've guided us through today. But um, I, I know, again, I think the UK government have got something called the nudge department. You know, these are the upper echelons of the civil service, as I understand it. And as I've seen it reported in the media, uh, maybe slightly wrong, but nevertheless, they, they say, you know, they, they, this was seen as some sort of panacea, again, for, for driving, you know, helpful action and behavior in all sorts of areas and to tackle all sorts of i think quite serious social problems in some cases so yeah it's 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 quite alarming to uh to understand um a lot more is needed um than that as well yeah look at let's let's look at what's going on we've got we've got a crisis of young people using vapes and i actually heard um just, I think, it came out of a party conference this week. They're talking about banning certain um, flavours of, of, um, of vape, for example, for kids. And a few years ago, I was working in San Francisco, and um, I was just reading the, the local paper there. And the state, to have a, the state has a lot more power than our, our regions do in the UK. It just banned the tobacco companies or the baking companies just selling, just banned them from the state. That's it. Get out. You've stepped over the line now with our young people. And, and that's sometimes the extra. Social behaviour that isn't being resolved by what governments are doing. So if, if governments knew and had fantastically powerful insights into how to manage human behaviour, we wouldn't be seeing the mental health um, epidemic that we're seeing. Uh, we wouldn't be seeing all these problems in society. You know, the, the NHS can't get people to walk 10,000 steps a day and eat five portions of fruit and vegetables, and they're throwing billions and billions at trying to do this. Um, yeah, so Nudge doesn't explain everything about why we do but it is one factor yeah well that was a, that was a fascinating digression um nevertheless and um yeah part part of of, of the whole subject of of today's session um so you've taken us through the three steps uh in the habit mechanic coaching system um the, the practicality, the, the straightforwardness of them is so refreshing and so energizing, I find anyway. And what you say is, and what you're really doing is enabling people to, to work with clients, to reprogram, reprogram their clients' brains, and they will get a, a significant dividend of time in what you call high impact work. Just as we come to a close, John, please just, just break that down for us, if you would. Yeah, I think this is so key to understand we only have so much in simple terms mental capacity conscious mental capacity every day to work to work on complex things that could be mentally complex tasks at work in your business creating a new product writing a new report creating new procedures you haven't created before working out how to integrate new generative ai into your day-to-day -day work but also mentally complex things for yourself, like getting building a better sleep habit, like building a better stress habit, like becoming a better leader. That all takes conscious effort. We all have a small window per day. And we recognize that 
we have about five hours of that type of work that we can do per day in every 24-hour period. And if you don't do your five hours today, you can't do 10 hours tomorrow. It doesn't work like that. So the people that are, that are excelling, that are really nailing it and really performing well, they are optimizing how they use that five-hour window per day. And all of our mechanic systems are really designed to help you to do that. Um, we call it high-charge uh, brain states. So what, we, what we're spotlighting for our clients, both the people that we work with one-to-one ourselves, but those that we train to be coaches, is that we can help them to activate what we call the 25-hour brain. And the 25-hour brain is spotlighting doing five hours of um, high-charge work five days a week, which is what most people's working patterns look like. And if we can get those five hours done on a Monday, five hours done on a Tuesday, five hours done on a Wednesday, five hours done on a, on a Thursday, five hours done on a Friday, we're really nailing it. Um, and we know that for most people, they're, they're just not able to do that. And even if people think they're very productive and focused, they're probably still leaving at least 20 hours on the table each month. And those people that are really struggling are, leave, are leaving probably up to 80 hours on the table per month. You know, big sums of, of wasted time. So we know that if you follow our program or that you, if you want to help others to do better, we can help you to reprogram your own brain or reprogram other people's brain so that they can do an extra 20 hours of high charge focus work per month all the way up to an extra 80 hours of high charge focus work per month so that's the promise that we make from our from our programs and it's all backed by that three-step um, coaching process that we went through yeah, uh, that's fantastic, and I know I know you're getting uh, significant interest. Uh, ju- just although we just we've just been talking about the the theories and the the implementation of this in this session. Just briefly, John, if someone is interested, if someone is a coach and wants to overhaul their approach and their system, if someone wants to get into coaching, how how can they get in touch with you to learn more about this? Yeah, I'd contact us through the website tougherminds.co.uk. Contact us through the contact form and. Um... You can share the program that where that coaches are of people who want to be coaches are training on and have trained on. You can see the testimonies. You can see the the impact this is making, not only on the coaches' lives but also their clients' lives as well. So you can become a certified habit mechanic coach. Um, fantastic program. Equally, if you want one-to-one coaching, um, we're now offering what we call the advanced habit mechanic certification. That's a one-to-one coaching program where we guarantee that you're going to get between an extra 20 hours and 80 hours of high impact work done every single month. So whether you want to be a coach or you want the one-to-one coaching, just contact us via the website. We can share more details about those programs. Thanks to everyone for listening. And remember, you're only ever one habit away. So keep persisting. Enjoy the rest of the week. Bye for now.